Let's pray. Father God, take my words. May they accurately portray your written word. But may they reveal to us the living word. May they help us to put all that we see into perspective. And to trust you. For this life and the life to come. A man called Jack was out running one day when he got too close to the edge of some cliffs. He stumbled and he went over the edge and he, but he managed to stop himself by grabbing hold of a passing branch. And at first he gave a big sigh of relief. But this was short-lived as the reality of his situation sunk in. It was a long way down from the branch. But he couldn't see any way he could get back up to the cliff face to the top. And the branch he was clinging to was already straining under his weight. So he did the only thing he could do. He cried out, Help! Is anyone up there? To his amazement, almost instantly a voice came back. Jack, can you hear me? And Jack was sure he heard a voice, but when he looked up, he couldn't see anyone. So he cried out again, I'm down here. Who's there? I can't see you. And the voice came back again, Well, of course you can't see me. I'm God. But it's all right, Jack. I can see you. God, please help me. I'll do anything. I promise. I'll stop betting on the horses. I'll cut out the booze. I won't even sneakily nudge my golf ball to a better spot when I've got a bad lie. Whoa, 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 there, Jack said, God. Don't go mad on the promises. Let's just get you down and then we'll think about, you know, how you might change your ways. Okay, God, said Jack. What do you want me to do? Let go of the branch, says God. You what? Trust me, let go of the branch. For a moment, Jack considered what he had been told. He looked up to the top of the cliffs, and he looked down at the drop below. And then he cried out, Help! Is anyone else up there? We like to live with the illusion that we have everything under control. Or at the very least, if we work hard enough, we can get everything under control. We talk about all people having all their ducks in a row and maybe wish we were more like them. But most of the time, we don't even have a clue where our ducks are. Although, interestingly, if you were to tell such a person how much you admired them, it would probably come as news to them that they do have everything as they wanted. But still, we like the illusion that everything's controllable. In their book, Invitation to a Journey, M. Robert Mulholland and Ruth Haley Barton write this. Almost from the moment of birth, we engage in a struggle for control of that portion of the world we live in. Can we get our parents to provide for our needs and wants when we want and how we want? 
Can we get our playmates to play our way or will they control us to play their way? Can we control situations and others to fulfil our agenda or are we manipulated into serving others? Can we create enough of a security structure around our lives that we will be able to control life's adversities? And then they add, if you do not believe that control is a major issue in your life, consider how you respond when someone or something disrupts your plan for the day. In the last year or so, we have become very aware of just how fragile our control over so much of life is. Particularly in the last of that list of areas I mentioned a moment ago. We have hit limits on our ability to create the security structure around our lives that can protect us from all adversity. It's amazing. Something so tiny has had a massive impact on our world. You've probably become familiar with the image of the virus which causes COVID-19 over the last year. But when it is on screen on the news, we can fail to appreciate just how small it is. It is not 0.1 microns or four millionths of an inch in diameter. And yet, it can bring so much of life to a standstill. We're slowly now starting to emerge from the lockdown and re-establishing life, at least something like we would recognise as normal. And yes, there will be much we have missed and we want to recover. But also many things are different. Some things have fallen victim to the pandemic. We can see that in our economy when we look at the number of businesses that won't reopen. In other ways, the pandemic has exposed weaknesses, fractures and divisions that already existed but had gone unnoticed or unresolved, brushed under the carpet. Many families forced together under lockdown conditions have seen those, those frailties cruelly exposed. On the other hand, it's like we've been given permission to let go of some things and we may choose not to pick them up again when normality returns. When things are ticking along, going normally, we can easily drift through life and not really question very much. The power of disruption is that it forces us to rethink, to adjust, to do things differently to question, which in turn opens us up to new possibilities we might never have thought of otherwise. And that's why transformation most often begins in the disruption. It begins more often at the bottom than on the mountaintop, because that is when we are most open to the idea of doing it differently. An idea that has come to prominence recently has been the idea of building back better. Ironically enough, that was an idea aimed at reducing risk so that something like coronavirus didn't affect us in the first place. But more recently, it's become a slogan about how we might rebuild the economy after the pandemic. It was the name of a recent report by our own government. 
not just to go back to how things were before, but, to quote the report, to learn the lessons of this awful pandemic and build back better. It's also the name for Joe Biden's recovery plan for working families in America. His election website included the lines, This is no time to just build back to the way things were before, with the economy's structural weaknesses and inequalities still in place. This is the moment to imagine and build a new American economy for our families and for the next generation. Which prompts the question, might the same be true for us as disciples of Jesus? As a community seeking to express faith, hope and love. We will emerge changed. That's unavoidable. But will we recognise and embrace that change? Over the next few weeks we will be beginning the process of coming back together for public worship. With the exception of a short spell in the autumn, we've spent pretty much a year or more meeting like this online. But how we emerge is important. We were challenged last week by Jonathan about this. If you have not heard his talk, I really encourage you to give it a listen. A couple of you shared how you thought there was something quite prophetic in what he shared. And amongst those things was the temptation to just go back to what we knew and the danger of doing that. But there is an alternative course for us. We can grow back better. We can take lessons learned over the past year, good and bad, and use them to reshape the type of people and community we want to become going forward. And that's what I want to focus on over the next few weeks. Not really just on the surface level stuff, like what services will look like, what activities will engage in or whatever. But what type of people community will we become we've been through the chaos and the whirlwind everything's been thrown into chaos disrupted our illusions of what we can manage and control have been shattered but that needn't be a bad thing disruption can be the birth pangs of new beginnings so what creation or new creation is God seeking to bring to birth in our midst. As the Spirit hovers over the chaos of the darkness of 2020 and 2021, what light, life and transformation can emerge. But whether that happens will depend on what lessons we've learned what we take forward from this season. And the first I've called recentering and refocusing. Recognizing our own limitations and our utter dependence on God. We're a relatively affluent society who have been through a relatively peaceful period of our history, believe it or not. We've come to see advances and progress as the norm. And we've come to trust in ourselves, or at the very least, to 
phrase that we hear a lot, trust the science. And before I move on, I don't want to sound remotely anti-science in progress. We are very blessed with the scientific minds we have. It saddens me when people who take the name of Jesus indulge themselves in half-truths and conspiracy theories. The will and the ability to stretch our capabilities and understanding is, I believe, part of our God-given creativity. But we also need to recognise we are limited. We have lost some perspective. We have lost a sense that creation just doesn't merely exist to serve us, nor is it under our control. We've lost sight of our total dependence on God. And that's an essential message for those who want to live in relationship to God. That's a key message in the section of the book of Job that Naomi read for us today. It's one of the oldest parts of our Bible and deals with some of the most primal questions about the guy who has it all and loses everything. Not through folly or wickedness, but even though he is good and wise. People often talk about the patience of Job and the faith with which he faced adversity. And whilst I do find real faith in it, it's not often the kind that they're talking about when they talk about his patience and his faith. Because that makes me wonder whether they ever stopped reading after chapter 2. Job challenges God in all sorts of ways which we might find uncomfortable. It's quite something that some of this is in our scriptures at all. And in a sense, it's a slightly inconvenient passage for people like me who advocate Christian mindfulness. You know, we love to take people to the story of Elijah and Horeb and how Elijah looks for God in the earthquake, the wind and the fire. But God's not there. Instead, he's in this still, small voice. In the stillness of the silence. Well, here we get the opposite. God speaking out of the storm or the whirlwind. But when God does that, when he speaks out of that whirlwind, it's not what Job or perhaps what we expect. God doesn't explain what's been going on to nicely wrap up the story. God doesn't justify himself. God doesn't even pass the blame to the accuser from the opening scenes. Nor, at least at first, does he either accuse or vindicate Job, which is what Job has been challenging God to do. Rather, God points Job to the limits of his understanding and to the wisdom which runs the earth. It's like God said, Job, you think the world has lost its sense of meaning or foundation. So I suppose you were around when I set those foundations in place in the first place. God answers Job's questions of the previous 30-something chapters with a series of questions of his own. All of them point to one answer, that this is the work of God, not of Job. But by itself, it wouldn't be much of an answer. But there is something else going on in what God says that becomes clearer in verses 8 to 11. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? 
When I said, this far you may come and no further, here is where your pride waves halt. In the ancient Hebrew world, the sea was an image of chaos. It was threatening. It was liable to blow up into dangerous storms. It was uncontrollable, untamable. Except God can stop it in its tracks. It's not beyond him. I love how Eugene Peterson's The Message paraphrases this section. He talks about God wrapping up the sea in soft clouds and tucking it in safely at night and then making a playpen for it so it doesn't run loose. And he says, you stay there. That's your place. Your wild tantrums are confined to that place. To us, the world seems dangerously out of control. To God, he's saying, well, to me, that's no more than a threatening than a toddler's tantrum. God speaks from within the whirlwind of the storm. And it's to highlight that we do live in a world of light and dark, of harshness and beauty. Of They all coexist in a massive of complexity and paradox and goodness and struggle. Yeah, we can't get our heads around it. But when our wisdom cannot penetrate the mysteries of life, don't assume that God has lost control. Just because we can't get our head around it doesn't mean God's thinking's deficient. It just means that we're not up to the task. Just because life seems utterly chaotic and out of control to us, that doesn't mean it is to God. I suppose we can summarise a bit of what God says by saying, yes, it can seem the world descends into chaos. But even that chaos is only allowed to exist within the boundaries God sets for it. And we mightn't understand it. But you know, there's a freedom to be found in recognising that limitation. By itself, it could lead to despair until we realise that there is one who isn't overwhelmed by the chaos that engulfs us. And we can lean on that God. And it's here we could learn something from the wisdom of the Alcoholics Anonymous 12 Steps program. Consider the first three steps. We admitted that we are powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. In the past year, we have become very much aware of our limitations. Something so tiny, four millionths of an inch wide, stopped us in our tracks. I don't for a single moment believe that God caused the pandemic. But that doesn't mean that God can't speak out of the whirlwind that's brought. And perhaps a key message for those of us who wish to connect with God in the midst of all this is that even in the midst of our chaos and confusion, we are heard. We are not forgotten. God is not caught short. He's not wondering how we got into this mess and how he's going to get us out of it. 
and we can turn into him and lean into him in the midst of it. Which brings us back to the guy hanging off the branch of a cliff. See, we can struggle to trust even when we know we cannot control because we fail to appreciate that God's plan is good. A God who merely can control things is no good unless that God loves us and cares for us. But we aren't asked to turn ourselves over to any old God. Using the AA language here, God, as we understand God, has a face. And that face is Jesus. We can recenter and refocus on Jesus. That changes everything. Jesus alone shows us we are not alone and forgotten in the universe, but that God is with us and God is for us. In Jesus, God has embraced all of life and death. But not even the darkness of death can keep him in his grip. With Jesus, we can recenter and refocus. We can accept our limitations and lean on the one who came to us in love and has shown his love by giving himself for us. That doesn't mean we become passive and utterly powerless. At the heart of those AA steps is the Reinhold Niebuhr prayer, the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Recognising our own limitations doesn't mean taking no responsibility. Maturity demands that we do what we can. But we can also recenter and refocus. Rather than relying entirely on ourselves, we recenter, we reach into the source of all light and life and allow Him to bring things into focus. As we recognize the limits of our own wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and capabilities, we can, in genuine humility, trust less in ourselves and open ourselves to the power and guidance of the Spirit. And that opens up possibilities for new life the God life transformation becomes possible we have been through the whirlwind it may seem utterly chaotic but God can speak through the whirlwind but when we come as his people he doesn't just give us the answer we seek because where we seek clarity and understanding Instead, God gives us himself. We won't escape the seeming chaos and confusion of life. But we don't have to have all the answers. We can lean on the one who does hold all things together. And he can bring new life, new hope, new possibilities out of all things. It's the story we celebrated two weeks ago. 
when the angel said, what are you looking for Jesus here for? He's not dead. He is risen. And because of that, we can face the things we can't control with courage, trusting in him for the things we can't. And if we do that, if we recenter on him, if we allow him to refocus our perspective, well, that will be an important foundational step to growing back better. Grace and peace to you.